Hey guys, welcome to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host, as always, Steve Hall, and today I have Charlie Zhang and Mike Isretel on the show, and I'm very excited to talk to these guys. This is a promotional episode for the London and RP seminar that's happening on the 4th of June and 5th. But you can only get tickets for the fourth right now for the single seminar day, which is going to be a ton of fun. You're going to get a ton of insights into how fun that's going to be and the sort of level of education you're going to receive. We talk about what's going to be covered and much, much more in this episode. And as always, guys, if you do want to pick up a ticket, you can pick those up with the link in the bio. Don't miss out. Get your ticket today. And yeah, don't worry. It's not going to be an entire sales pitch the whole episode uh, and it's going to be a lot of fun. So let's dig into the show. Hi guys, welcome to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host, as always, Steve Hall, and today I have two of the Team Full Rom members here. Jared just couldn't be bothered to come, I think. Uh, he's not feeling too well, to be fair. And hopefully, I mean, I have no doubt he'll be fully recovered, as the guys were just saying. He is almost like Superman. He will be using his healing powers to be ready and raring to go for the London seminar, which is all the way in June, so there's plenty of time between then. But this was a promotional podcast to essentially promote the, the seminar, and we have some questions from the audience to give you a bit of a taster into kind of what the guys will be covering in terms of the day and also just the guys in general. And I know you guys love hearing from Charlie Jung, who is on the podcast with Mike Isretel. And obviously, like I said, Jared Feather, unfortunately, couldn't be here with us. Uh, and I just want to let people know from the offset that there are t- still tickets available for the 4th of June. So that is the seminar day and that is going to be central London. So the venues we're looking at, not quite quite confirmed but it's going to be really near oxford circus so if you're wondering where to stay or what have you you're a bit concerned it's literally going to be like a 10 minute walk from oxford circus which is about as central of london as you can get so if you're anywhere within there you're going to be absolutely great you can get everywhere on the tubes on the underground uh and uh yeah it's going to be a fantastic day i'm super hyped for it so guys how are you how are you both doing charlie how's the mass going are you going to still be massing by then how big are you going to be by then um so right now i'm deloading and i'm right into a mini cut a five week long one i'll probably get down like ooh, like 255 or lower i assume i'm already 267 oh, i lost like five to seven pounds already but i'll be messing back up for the london seminar because i have to bring the size right for y'all <laughs> folk uh so i mean i wouldn't be surprised if i'm you know over 270 again by that time so we'll see. first time in london First time in Europe in general. In oh, wow. Oh, nice. So we better Charlie, yeah, we've got to treat Charlie well. Charlie, let me tell you about exactly what London is like. <laughs> you ever seen them one of them shit, one of the movies like like Fantastic Beasts or some shit like that? Or like Harry Potter? Narnia, or like Harry Potter? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, it's a, it's a, to me, London is always frozen in, 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 uh, in like 1942, like the, the Great War. And everyone's wearing very fancy everything and they're like meh meh and uh <laughs> how do you know and and, and uh, everyone's super polite and you know there's like all this magical stuff everywhere and everything's called like piccadilly circus like that's a real place <laughs> that actually has a name I can't wait. uh it's great yeah so I, I i i believe all this stuff but also my wife Britt is telling me that there's this thing about <laughs> london i don't know like it's kind of like i guess our equivalent to jersey shore the whole posh look. I don't know, like yes. very heavily done makeup and like just tacky everything. I just found out about it. What do they call chavs or something? Chavs? Chavs are, what, yeah, they're, they're a real thing. Mate. Only Way uh, Essex Towie? Is that a thing? Like, ta- yeah, yeah, that's a show. <laughs> okay. There's also Made in Chelsea, <laughs> which is a little bit upper class. <laughs> these, these are, these are the posh folks in, in Made in Chelsea. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah it's gonna be a lot of fun i think you'll get a good experience with london it's a good old mix of things going on and good food i know mike always london oh oh yeah london is my favorite place on this earth london is my favorite city uh yeah it just is it used to be new york but i went to london a few more times and i was just like this is amazing and it, the reason it's my favorite is because, first of all, it's really stupid reasons. Um, <laughs> one, it's like the seat of Western civilization. Is like it, there's streets in London that are literally a thousand years 
years old. Like, that makes no sense. America is like a third that age. <laughs> Secondly, everyone talks like they're from Harry Potter, which is fucking incredible. Uh, everybody is like, oh, in it, fuck off, Gavna. And I'm like, whoa, <laughs> unbelievable. And I can't, I don't care what they're saying. I just want them to keep talking. And then the cabs look like they're from 1952, which is also amazing. And they're like reverse seating. It's super weird, but awesome. And then the snack food scene is off the fucking chain. What baffles me is when um, people from England come to the States and they're like, oh, I can't wait to go shopping in Walmart. I'm like, the fuck is wrong with you? Wow, it's very <laughs> expensive. Don't go. Uh, but they've got all these little convenience stores and all these weird potato chips, which I think you guys call crisps. And um, it's so amazing. My, all Crystal and I do, my wife, uh, is we go and like whatever we're doing, we do that. But like we spend like an inordinate amount of time. And basically, Charlie, they're equivalent of a 7-Eleven, which people probably think we're fucking insane. And we just like shop for these little tasty foods. It's Char Charlie, they have shrimp sandwiches. Fucking 7-Eleven, bro. And they're good. And like chicken and corn sandwiches. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Like never ending weird junk food. I love it. I'm, I'm quite upset. I haven't had a chicken and sweet corn sandwich for way too long, like a year or something. They're so good. We don't they're they're really macros. Good. The macros are fucking great. Charlie, the macros are like 20 protein, uh, like 35 carbs, and like nine fats. Wow. Like a fucking That's perfect. sandwich at a 7-Eleven. What? That's your photographic memory. <laughs> like the nine is so specific. <laughs> I love that. It's probably completely gotta, right. Yeah, I'm so used to counting them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, actually, that brings me to someone did ask the first day is it nine to five is there a break for food like they were kind of like should i bring my own food and with central london there's going to be a, probably an hour long lunch break for you to go and venture and there's i mean we're right by oxford circus so there's everything in like you could possibly probably want like mike said all the little sandwiches you're going to be able to find tesco express they're all over the shop subways like you know chipotle you can even get that over here now so we have everything in in central london uh they also asked uh, what's the training day going to be like so i don't know if mike you want to touch a little bit on that we're talking about it off air and yeah i think people are going to be excited it's sold out unfortunately but we're just gonna kind of hype up those who are coming or scare them <laughs> scare them so the training day is going to be probably similar to what we've done in the past, which is we take some folks and split them into groups of three or four. And you don't, you know, you don't necessarily get assigned to groups. You can be in groups with your friends, or if you don't have any friends, you can be in a group with me because I don't have any friends either. Uh, uh, but we, we split people up into groups and we throw up some sample workouts uh, on like the chalkboard. And they're usually going to be like one or two muscle group workouts. And we sort of go through them and illustrate the technique and chat about what you have to look out for. And then you have the workout, you're in your groups, you begin to warm up, you're in your little area. And myself, Charlie, Jared, Steve, Pascal. Harry. Harry will be there. We're going to be walking around. Oh, Harry will be there. Excellent. Not Potter, okay. but Harry Potter, close, close enough. <laughs> ah, ah. So uh, the number of Harry Potter jokes that will be occurring from my mouth to Harry at his expense is just going to be inordinate. It's going to be past the point where they're funny. He's just going to punch me in the mouth um, <laughs> or, you know, cast a spell. <laughs> what you going to do, Harry, cast a spell on me? <laughs> like that. That literal joke will be made hundreds of times. So um, we're going to break up into groups and then people will be training and we will walk around and give you technique pointers answer any and all questions you have about anything, including the training, including other stuff. And we are going to get under your skin and we're going to yell at you. We're going to push you. You're going to have probably one of the best workouts of your life, but not only is it going to be a great workout, you're going to take both theoretical and actionable tips away from that. So you can be like, wow, I trained not just hard, but smart. And then you're going to be able to apply those ideas into your own training. So it's going to be a blast. And um, I guess, this is uh, something I'll say because I, I have no idea how it's going to come off, but uh, I'll say it anyway. And this applies to both the training and the seminar day. Like, my, if you've never met us, uh, myself, Charlie, and Jared, like, we're just regular ass people. We will talk to you about anything. You can ask us anything. You can tell us to go fuck ourselves. We don't have a fucking hoity toity idea about like we're like some kind of authority, some shit. Like it doesn't matter. So we'll like come chat with us. Like we just want to hang out with you guys. We're literally just going to hang out with you guys. And we have presentations and we have lectures, but like it's so, it's such a chill environment. It's not like, oh, Dr. Mike gives a talk and then he's whisked away to his hotel, that fucking <laughs> hover car. Now that I'm saying that, it's not kind of cool. Like, no, no, no more autographs, folks. Uh, but like, 
it's just us to it's just us coming to come come chill with you guys so you know and whenever there's a lot of like uh young men around i always get very curious i'm always in the mix you know yeah must have sounded better in my head (laughs) i can also speak to that because i still remember the first time when we brought you over mike and i was meeting you in the restaurant and i was just like I'm not the most confident person for like first time meetups anyway, but I was like, well, I'm kind of nervous. And then I kind of saw you guys all just sitting there and like you said, just super chill, super relaxed. And uh, I felt very much like comfortable uh, quickly. So if anyone's like, I don't know, a little bit socially awkward and like unsure, you're going to fit right in because there's probably other people there too. And these guys, like said, like they they make you feel like you're at home very quickly. And I will do that too. For sure. Also, like, it's just jokes, all jokes. It's all jokes. And we will joke to you and at you and with you. And it's always together. Like, we're never going to make fun of you or something like that. We will. Sorry, I take that. We're going to make fun <laughs> of you. But it's all a togetherness, happiness, laughing together that, you know, because like, a lot of people, I think, get taken aback at the jokes. And they're like, Oh, is Dr. Mike, like, razzing me? Like, yes, but it's a togetherness thing. You know, it's, uh, we're never gonna in a million years, like, embarrass you or intimidate you or anything crazy like that. So just, uh, you know, the jokes were pretty fast paced. Um, I was, I was raised by, by our, our, our friend Marcos Rodriguez in, in, uh, in New York to, to joke very rapidly. So it's, you know, Charlie, you know what I'm saying? We gotta, we gotta keep that. Yeah, man. Yeah. I mean, like, feel free to, you know, say whatever, whenever to any of us, uh, nothing you can say, like you, like Mike said, you won't embarrass yourself. You won't offend us. You can damn well try. It's impossible. Here's the thing. Actually, no. I'm going to put this out there. If someone can offend me at the seminar, you get a special prize. (laughs) Try. Try. Is that a punch in the face? (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, Mike, are you prepared for a slap? People are going to be inspired after recent events. (laughs) I'm assuming everyone's seen this by now. (laughs) Oh, my God. I can't wait because I have this whole sequence set up some motherfucker try to slap me arm drag single i mean there's a sequence here folks please <laughs> come up and slap me system works in the uk yeah i, I assume they how, put on a fresh white you, glove sir? before doing so like you know it's coming there's a whole process <laughs> charlie hold up is it that they how does the slapping work? Do they put on the white glove or do they take it off and then slap oh, it? Oh, you're right. Because they're already decked out with the white glove, all fancy. And you are great top hats, right? Everywhere. McCain's? No? Right? Yes, everywhere. Every single person wears a top hat in London. <laughs> uh, actually, that brings me to another question that came up was the main topics for the day. So uh, I don't know if you guys um, have changed the topics of what you. Well, do you know? Do you remember? Because. Yes, go for it, Mike. What's the main topic for you for the for the day? Uh, so for me, you know, I don't know Jared's topic. Fuck if I ever do that shit. Um, I do know, but uh, my, unless he's oh, changed perfect, it, thank God. Yeah, no, I'm sure it's fine. Uh, so my topic is when when technique focus can go too far, because we're all nerds and we're all super concerned, as well as we should be, about really having super good technique. But there's the situation you can get into where you care about your technique so much, your intensity can drop off, your reps and reserve can drop off, and you're so worried about perfect technique, which you end up doing is maybe incrementally increasing the load and freaking out and thinking your technique is breaking down and recycling down way too soon to renorm your technique, which is a good thing that should happen every now and again anyway. But some people get so in their heads about good technique that they end up way overvaluing it at the expense of how hard they're trying. There's a balance there, you know, like technique is important, but trying hard is also very important. So I'm going to talk super deep dive, basically an hour long lecture into what are the specific problems with overfocusing on technique, how they present themselves and how you can make sure that you don't fall into that trap. And it's a trap I've been in before. It's a trap many people have been in before. It's not a trap that affects like bros much, but it affects nerds like us a ton. And I assume almost everyone going to this thing is a fucking literally Harry Potter. I'm assuming everyone that's coming to the seminar is a clone of Harry Potter. We're Harry Potter's weird redheaded friend. Uh, what's his name? Ron Weasley. Uh, I tried to do some sort of whatever. accent. I don't know if that worked. <laughs> 
I have. You're I'm British anyway. I don't need to. <laughs> 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 Just sounded like I'll say. I, I know you were doing an accent. I was like, oh, you're saying it fine, except very like intently. <laughs> <laughs> and then Charlie, what are you? Oh yeah. On um, so my my topic is pretty much going to touch on the uh, psychology mindset going into training, dieting, specifically for like bodybuilding prep. Um, you know, like Mike said, everyone attending is very, very smart and probably well-versed in a lot of nutrition and sports science already. Uh, but, you know, sometimes that's kind of like uh, best practices during dieting and training, but maybe not too much about the mindset and uh, how you can apply yourself to kind of have uh, a high success rate for yourself and probably the best outcomes towards the end. So, yeah. Kind of that's super practical stuff that yeah. you kind of only get when you go through it. And then maybe it's too late. But if you've got Charlie's presentation in your head, it'd be probably a lot uh, easier. I don't know if that's the right word. Uh, uh, you're not going to crash and burn as as as, yeah. as likely. <laughs> probably easier. Let's say that. Definitely uh, le less needlessly difficult. There you and go. Is this, that's a big thing. And you know, it's a lot of tips that you're like exactly like you said, Steve. If you if you knew Charlie's shit before you started a prep, it's a lot of stuff that you really will are going to thank yourself for knowing before you when you're doing your prep or when you're doing a hard, even just a hard diet, um, training and diet wise. Um, I've had, a, I've had a peek at Charlie's presentation and it's like, I wish I knew this shit when I did my first five preps. <laughs> so, uh, it, it's, it's really good to know because, um, you know, it's all, it's all good to know all the science and stuff, but when you get in and you're starving to death and you're supposed to try to train hard, but what's, what's too hard, uh, am I underthinking things? Am I overthinking things? I have to stick to the plan. But when I stick rigidly to the plan, I start to burn out. Charlie's walked that line. And Charlie's about as dedicated as it's possible to be at bodybuilding and super meticulous. So if Charlie's telling you it's okay to relax and just follow the plan, you know, gee, I, I guarantee you he's thought that through very much and has battled himself on that a ton. Because, <laughs> like, you know, we're all, we're all like, again, the, um, the, the folks that are attending are largely similarly minded that there's nobody in attendance that has problems with motivation there's nobody in attendance that has problems with like you know not being able to to push hard enough and i think a lot of the people have problems with like guilty feelings about not going hard enough and um should i modify the plan in an auto regulation style but what if i'm modifying it because i'm doubting myself should i really be modifying that's a big focus of charlie's presentation is like just how to cool off and look at things objectively set a plan in motion just kind of let the plan run its course. Um, it, to, to me, Charlie's been super instrumental um, as just a training partner or friend in, in helping me become a better athlete myself uh, because I had been training for years and coaching people for years before I even met Charlie. But like Charlie was the person that essentially really convinced me to take super objective metrics, like track every macro, every calorie, you know, within reason, of course. Uh, he got me a step tracker, physically bought it for me. And it was like, this is a really good idea because he like read all my theoretical work. And he's like, yeah, there you go. He's like, you should have a step tracker, you stupid idiot. And I was like, yeah, that's true. <laughs> and then it, because like, for example, here's a, like a step tracker just tells you what your activity is for the day. So you never, ever have to worry about, okay, I did my 45 minutes of cardio. But then when I was shopping at the store, I kind of like pushed on a cart. I leaned on a cart too much. And then I sat in the car for too long and I parked too close to the store. How does that even out? That, that can drive you insane during prep. But if you have a fucking watch and it says 10,000 steps and you're good, you just don't have to worry about it. And I think because Charlie's so meticulous himself and because he's so focused on the details, he was like, why aren't we doing this super objectively? You would think, oh, doing it objectively makes you more nervous. But that's the opposite of the truth. If you track everything, it's just all numbers and the numbers are they're cool as ice. You just look at them. Did I hit my numbers today? Yes. Well, I don't have to worry about anything. And it makes, uh, uh, Charlie's going to say way more than that. Uh, but I, it's unreal helpful to me. Awesome. No, yeah, it sounds really good. Uh, so yeah. And then, uh, with Jared's, I believe he's doing client needs analysis, annual plan and macro cycle design. So I think that's going to be a really nice complimentary, like yours are quite I bet both are quite practical. In, well, actually, no, his is very practical, but kind of the overview and yours are also details within the weeds uh, somewhat and kind of it's just all different aspects. <laughs> I think it's going to be really nice and complementary to the work probably yeah. they can get from your uh, YouTube channel and from the books and everything. It's just going to be very complementary to that. 
Well, yeah, Jared's stuff is like all the stuff you learned from our books in the YouTube channel. Jared is going to illustrate how it is to be applied and how he applies it in, in generating a theoretical framework. And Jared's perspective on this is like he's insanely highly educated and ultra intelligent. And also he's a IFB pro, so he's done this himself a whole bunch. But Jared, uh, you know, I don't, I don't coach. Uh, I have, how many clients do I have? My wife, Charlie, sort of. Charlie mostly does his own thing now. Uh, that's it. I think that's it. So uh, me, right? <laughs> uh, I used to coach all the time, but I don't anymore. I do theoretical work. I do a lot of app development, stuff like that, videos. Jared, basically, full day job is coaching. That's more or less all Jared does. And he coaches people at a bunch of different levels, but mostly at the higher level. And he is he does not mess around with his coaching. Jared watches individual clients' techniques all the time and does like video, like loom video conferencing with them to like get their techniques better. And he just puts so much work into every client. Like if you want a coach that just goes way over the top and in, in, in telling you exactly what's gonna be happening, uh that Jared's that guy and he's anal and he's meticulous and so he doesn't coach people just baby like oh yeah yeah we'll do this it's all super designed super uh, ahead of time auto-regulated all the time and if you want to learn how to do that from one of the best coaches i think i mean in the, in, if i say if i had anyone coach me it would be jared uh, other than myself and the only reason i win that one is because i know me slightly better from just being inside my body like jared's a very close second sometimes better right and if you want to learn how that person thinks and lays it out, that's a big deal. I will say another thing. It's kind of cool to hear that because do you know how other coaches coach? The answer is probably not. A lot of the – and Jared coaches pro people. He coaches drug people. And a lot of that world is very secretive. Like you hire a coach and they're just a guy with 500,000 Instagram followers because they've coached Mr. Olympia a bunch. And you don't ever know what they do except cryptically like on Instagram to be like pushing a bit more carbs into my athlete. And I'm like – pushing with like with like a needle or a shovel like what is going on i mean they're eating it but you know and it's very cryptic and you don't really know what's going on uh, because a lot of the times they'll they'll talk in detail about individual things they're doing but you don't get the grand architecture of like here's how we start an off season here's before we start an off season here's how we do a needs analysis here's how we generate the program here's how we go off season and then maintenance and then prep and then at the all the auto regulation that happens if you hear jared's talk uh, I will say you're going to learn a shitload about how to coach yourself and coach your athletes. But for those of you coming and for those of you thinking about buying tickets to come, make sure you read up. Jared does this thing. It's really, I think it's really funny. Uh, it's, it's, it's kind of like adorable. Jared only really ever speaks at one level and that's Jared's knowledge and intelligence. So uh, good luck keeping up because he only uses technical terms. And I watch him do this to people that like we meet bodybuilders everywhere. And some of these guys like maybe didn't sort of graduate high school. And Jared's like, well, hypertrophically the best. I'm like, Jared, that person doesn't know what you're talking about at all. So if you want the most of the Jared's talk, uh, I would read Scientific Principles of Hypertrophy Training. I would watch a few videos before uh, showing up because then you'll just get the most out of it. Because if you don't do that stuff, some of the shit, Jared will straight up lose you. He, Jared knows he's coming to talk to really smart people, which he loves to do. He's just going to be up here the entire time. Um, so so be prepared, you know, that fair warning. Because some people will like, you know, they'll sort of figure out where the crowd is and go that way. Or some people like Charlie and I just aren't smart enough to talk up. So we just talk down. I'm like lifting, good, lazy, bad. That's more or less the summary of my talk anyway. I could have just said that and that'd be the whole talk. But Jared, Jared's always really highbrow. Uh, he'll come with a... Jared only ever presents with a monocle and a top hat, and his butler usually does most of the talking because Jared can't be uh, bothered to speak. It's like that. Hey, Pascal here. I just quickly wanted to remind you of our online coaching service. At Revive Stronger, we put a huge emphasis on the personal aspect of our coaching. And if you want to take your physique and knowledge to the next level, hit the link in the description below. Uh, and actually, Jared has come and done a presentation before, so I can agree, like, it's very like you said top level stuff and uh very very educational and informative for like you said for people who are looking to coach athletes competitors uh or people just looking to like get jacked get strong lose fat that sort of thing but also kind of 
people who are looking to coach themselves you you learn and i think one of the most important yes. things as you're getting more advanced is that macro cycle design is that periodization a lot of people don't think about that they just kind of look at the next few weeks and they don't plan ahead of time and they don't have goals and set outcomes and they get a bit lost in terms of uh, when should i be mini cutting when should i do maintenance all these things so to have that mapped out and that guidance i think is going to be super valuable from jared and also to be able to ask him questions about it because that sometimes like you might get some of this these things in the book but you can't ask the book questions whereas you guys will be there on hand to explain it if it, it doesn't make sense for example and i'm sure jared's not gonna uh avoid questions for example uh, he will be very amenable to taking questions and answering people because i mean he does it all the time for his clients too so it'll be a great experience 100%. on that front and for absolutely for my for myself and uh, Pascal, uh, who will be probably be presenting, I think we're presenting. Uh, so I think it will be very much practical based, uh, based off our kind of client experience, because like Jared, like I'm not a researcher. I'm not going to kind of throw PubMed studies at you. I don't think that's where my skill set is. Uh, I, so I think for my presentation, I'm not completely set on the topic, but I think I'm going to go from something like the title is going to be, I just thought of this today. It's going to be something from taking good genetics to great. So kind of my personal experience with my personal career development as a natural bodybuilder, but also from helping clients because a lot of the people I work with, they kind of count themselves out and they think they're not responding to things. And then as we work together, we can work through that and kind of how I get people bought into that and how we get them making fantastic results that they never thought was possible. So that's what I'm thinking about presenting on. I kind of want to potentially ask some people what they think would be best. Um, so I'm, I'm not finalized on that. And I think Pascal took inspiration from what you asked, Mike, in terms of kind of mindset surrounding getting through injuries and setbacks because he's had his fair share of those throughout his career, especially recently. So uh, yeah, he's he's kept pushing through despite that. But I haven't got confirmation that that's absolutely what he's doing. So I don't want to put words into his mouth. But yeah, you can expect some really hopefully practical and helpful and insightful presentations from everyone, actually. Uh, I'm very excited for it. The day is always fantastic, especially for networking. Like we were just saying, I don't know if you guys know this, but me and Pascal met at a seminar. And so that's actually where he ended up really coming onto the, the team with myself because we'd had several interactions at events. And that's the only reason when that put him strides ahead of anyone else I was ever thinking to bring on. So yeah, it's, you don't know where these things can link you to. And obviously we even had our first seminar, Mike, and we've developed a kind of mutual great relationship, which I'm super happy about. And we wouldn't be here today without having done that first one, a meeting. But I think, yeah, so if you're in the industry, it's a great way not to just make friends and acquaintances, but also you don't know what could come out of it. Steve, Go for it, Mike. I've already met the love of my life, Crystal, but what are the chances for any given seminar <laughs> that they're going to meet the love of their life here? By the way, Charlie's also taken, so scratch that off the list. We should do like a matchmaking type of like, I don't know how we're going to do this. <laughs> There's a dinner for the VIP, ultimate oh, VIPs. Yeah. Well, that should be nice. Is it candlelit? We can like take a survey. <laughs> <laughs> candlelit dinner where it, it's a it, have you ever wanted to meet the love of your life with mike charlie jared pascal and steve <laughs> literally looking over your date like this like say this next um you know what we can do is like okay we're gonna just set this up right now if you want if you if we're gonna have a singles pool a little like tinder thing at the at the seminar so during the actual seminar we're gonna let you up your upload your profile and match and if you match with somebody that you like at the seminar, at the dinner, we're just going to have you and them at candlelit dinner, and then you'll get a consultant. Like myself, I'll be on your shoulder, and Charlie will be on the other person's shoulder, and we're going to like tell you how things are going, how you're doing, uh, what to say next, what not to say. Um, like, like you'll start saying, and Charlie will tap you on the shoulder and be like, and then you'll just be quiet, and he'll whisper in your ear and be like, so how is the weather today? Like, shit like that. It's going to be amazing personal coaching for the love of your life i can't wait i want someone to comment below if they met the love of their life at a seminar before it's got to have happened so many like-minded individuals in one place there's a we, large ratio of males to females group, unfortunately sorry yes <laughs> yes but you know males can love males i've True. been there yeah, um, there's been a few there's yeah there's been a few rp clients that have gotten married Wow. And they met in the RP clients group. Yeah, through Facebook. It's all through the social medias nowadays, so that doesn't actually surprise me. 
That's incredible. No. You're making love, guys. Yeah. <laughs> That's what really matters. <laughs> <laughs> My parole officer says I'm not allowed to make love outside the United States <laughs> in any capacity, but yes, nominally, I will agree with you. Uh, right. We'll get on to some questions that we had uh, come through. So, um, Actually, one, I think I just want to see if it's, I want to get, ask it correctly. Uh, so this relates to potentially your presentation, Mike. Uh, they asked, can you target a specific part of a single muscle? I think this seems to be becoming more popular with uh, kind of, from what I'm seeing at least, where people are targeting like the upper chest, specifically the outer quad, the lower lat, that sort of thing. How specific can we be with our exercises? Mm -hmm. So uh, I can actually have a pretty decent answer to this question. So uh, on the one hand, for some muscles, that is the obvious answer is yes, because the the biomechanics and the EMG studies and the just just rationale and just testing uh, what gets sore and, and what doesn't um, is all is pretty straightforward. So for example, if you want to target the long head of your tricep, if you work extensions. At an overhead position, that absolutely will target the long head much more than extensions in any other position. If you do incline presses, it absolutely targets your upper chest more than flat or decline presses. So stuff like that is pretty obvious. What gets a little bit more difficult is when you have a significant amount of redundancy in uh, the parts of the muscle. Like oftentimes they're called heads of the muscle. Like the quadricep has four heads, uh, four components, and you know one of the components. Um, is clearly designed to do something that the others are not, right? Like it elevates the hip as well as extending the knee. Now, the other components, uh, three of them, uh, especially the outer quad and the inner quad, they actually do more or less the same fucking thing. And it is very difficult to even theoretically surmise how they would practically be targetable differently, right? Uh, uh, another concern there is we say, well, let's go to the EMG studies. Well, the problem is EMG studies are, are, they give you a rough idea of what's going on, but very, very bad at specifics. And in addition to that, um, you know, they just don't have the, they, they don't have the, the power of uh, kind of like the, the precision in order to tell you what the fuck is going on. And to date, most of those studies have shown, for example, for quads, that they're really like close stance, wide stance. It all seems kind of so similar that you know it's just not dependable so you really have to ask the question of when you want to target a specific part of the muscle is it a muscle that has distinct parts or has very distinct angles of pushing or pulling for example the lats are quite a large muscle and it, the way the lats are designed is they insert at a very small place and then they fan out so if you pull this way versus pull this way, it's perfectly theoretically reasonable, or at least hypothetically reasonable, that you could target different parts of the lat more than others because the fibers, you know, fibers align where the force of pull occurs. And, you know, if the force of pull at a certain location, like it just makes sense that those fibers would pull it just is biomechanics in that regard, in that regard, it's just not that complicated. So maybe with the lats, that is a possibility. But with a muscle like the quads, it strains the imagination. The quads only do one thing. It's this. They fucking extend the knee, the three the three quad muscles that, that don't uh, function at the hip anyway. And it's kind of like, well, oh, God, sorry, that's me. Right. That's my wake-up alarm. Uh, so, you know, when it's just – when the muscle is just like basically redundant components and it's just like, oh, here, here's another one, the biceps. Because, you know, the biceps of two heads, unless you get ultra super specific with weird technique – Man, both bicep heads really just kind of do the same thing. They like, in, you know, insert on slightly different parts uh, of the other structures, but it's such a tiny difference. Here's another one: the gastrocs, like the calves. I mean, they only just really just do one thing, which is like just like plantar flex the foot, and that's really it. And, and there's not so many changing the angle doesn't really do a whole lot of anything. So for muscles like that, unfortunately, the preponderance of the evidence and the reasoning leads us to believe that. Any slight alterations of technique and even large alterations of technique just won't really have a dependable difference you can cash in at the bank. Say, oh, this is going to be for my outer quads. There may be some hypothetical situations in which you could bias one to the other a little bit, but seeing that on your person develop over time may be like really giant disappointment. Um, and, and another thing is 
overall muscle size is so much easier to change. You're often so much better off changing your overall muscle size versus prioritizing one part of the muscle than the other is spending a lot of time with, there's a possibility that like uh, altering your technique could give you 5% better growth of one side of the quad than the other. 5% growth over the course of three years when the total muscle grew by 20%, you may never even notice that. Someone's like, oh, I think your outer sweep's a little better. You're like, I guess. Then before we even say that's for sure the case, we have to take those exercises and rank them against our best SFR exercise. So for example, if it's shown that very narrow stance leg presses really actually do hit the outer quads, which by the way, it's by no means clear to me at this point, uh, as my reading the literature, assessment of just kind of uh, um, diagrammatical biomechanics, we look at diagrams and say, okay, like this is probably how it works. Even if that's true, you got to think, okay, if I narrow my stance a ton and point my toes forward, which is sort of like, I guess the notion of how you would hit the outer quads, how much does it limit my range of motion? How much does it limit how much load I can place? How much does it limit how, how hard I can safely push my muscles? And then the answer is if that limit is high, and then if you're, if you go like this instead of like this, you hit the overall quads 20% better than the 5% you get from putting your quads in might just be like, okay, you do understand that this is the expense of a lot of future quad growth, that you're getting a slightly more balanced quad look. And when people look at it like that, it just no longer seems like bodybuilding is about slapping clay wherever you need. It's more like, well, if you want to slap clay on parts that the mold doesn't fit onto, you're going to slap one millimeter at a time once per week. <laughs> and just what about the big mold that makes the quad bigger? Like, well, you use either the slapper or the mold. And like, oh, shit. So there's definitely some things to consider in general. But I would say is until and unless you've reached relatively high up to where your peak muscularity is going to be or where you want it to be. A lot of that focus on specific muscles that's not obvious, like overhead tricep work for the long head, a lot of it's probably you, at least you have to diligently think through, is this worth the trade-off to me? Is this worth the time and the effort to take away from really, really pushing the muscles to become bigger? Uh, I hope that makes sense. Yeah, I think that makes a ton of sense. And uh, it really it makes me think again towards some of these uh, kind of, I guess you might call them biomarkers uh, within feedback from your sessions in terms of like you talk about the pump, the disruption, and just how valuable these have just evidently become for diagnosis tools. And I know some people are not kind of biggest fans of them because they are, I guess, um, like they're individual based, they're not objective maybe my, my measures, but I found them to just be so helpful because like in that situation, I'm just thinking, well, you can almost go try an exercise and like you can in a sense like in practice feel whether or not it's doing everything you talked about there if it's give you a, a poor sfr if it's hitting that area like you can feel if it's like i know for me for example i have a big kind of i guess you can let's just call it like the teardrop and then like my outer sweep of the quad is lacking comparatively i can do almost anything quad work and it's just never really feel it in the outside it's always on the inside like, there's just nothing i can really do about that so it's just, yeah, I, I find I have found personally in my own training and with clients, those sort of feedback tools to be just so helpful. So no, that that made a load of sense. Yeah. Cool. Uh, then I have a question, I guess, actually, I'm going to throw it over to you, Charlie. Someone asked, uh, most underrated pieces of gym equipment, in your opinion? Ooh, gym equipment. Huh. Ooh, I have something. Uh, two things. It's, uh, I think people that probably follow us know this piece of equipment very well, the Versa Grips. Um, don't know if you consider it gym equipment, but I mean, I would. It's at the gym, take it to the gym. Um, it's changed my back training considerably. Uh, straps are great, but Versa Grips, they almost never lose grip. Um, it makes uh, back training for me so much more uh, efficient. Uh, don't have to worry about my forms giving outs. And something recently, actually, um, I uh, found uh, through actually one of our members at Team Full Rom. He kind of mentioned it and kind of got lost, but I kind of checked it out. Uh, they're called Versa Lifts, not made by the same company. They're little kind of like inserts, wedges, they're half inches um, thick that you put inside your shoe, which is like amazing. You don't have to step on actually uh, plates, which is kind of unstable sometimes. Uh, I've been using them for the past couple of weeks and it's uh, phenomenal. Uh, I love that thing. Um, it changes uh, any kind of like leg quad movement to be that much more quad dominant, uh, especially in machines, which we all know sometimes leg presses, hack squats, things like that. 
aren't built perfectly, right? Uh, they can always be a little better. Um, I have a hack squat and leg press that has the same issue in my gym and I slap those suckers on. I put them in my actual weightlifting shoes, just kind of elevate the heel a little more. And like my quad just like got lit on a fire. So guys out there, uh, check out Versalis and Versa Grips. They're both like, I think the Versa Grips are maybe like $50, $60 and the Versa Lifts themselves are like 20, 30 bucks. So, and they're tiny, you carry around everywhere. Um, I'd say those are my two favorite pieces of gym equipment because of the price and also just the ease of transporting them. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I know a lot of people try and get like the wedges. I've got some like metal wedges I bought and I'm just like, man, I just can't take these to the gym all the time. They're huge. They're heavy. It's really uh, yes. annoying. And I actually have some Metcons and uh, Metcon, Nike Metcons come with a little lift literally what you're talking about so i put those in my lifters i've been doing that as well so yeah it's a great little hack i think that's yeah a, i didn't know there was a company actually selling them that's a Dude, great idea yeah, yeah check them out they're just they're, like i said they're tiny they're light they look like they're kind of like uh 3d printed they're amazing yeah another really cool thing about them is if you don't if you're going on a trip and you want to have some good leg workouts and you don't want to pack your because weightlifting shoes take up so much fucking space in your bag they're not so flammable yeah. they just take up like a, a ton of skin they're heavy <laughs> And they're hard. You can hit people with them. So if you pack the Versalifts, then you can just turn your regular walking around a tourist shoe into a weightlifting shoe. Yep. And voila, you don't have, you know, training at a hotel and they have a Smith machine. And you're like, ah, oh, man, I really wish I had my lifters with me. Now you do. And now they take up almost no space and no weight. I did that exact thing when I went to Vegas and I was like using my vans and I just put in these, the little Metcon little heel. And I was like, huh, this is awesome. This is perfect. And you're completely right because as like meatheads we want to pack our lifters everywhere and it's just <laughs> not the most convenient they're not like crocs you can just squish them in somewhere like you, yeah, it doesn't quite they're they're pretty cumbersome so yeah no awesome uh let's go for uh let's find a good actually i think this would be quite a useful one for people i don't think we've covered it before mike uh tips on if and i don't imagine a large chunk of our audience won't have this issue but i think there will be a, a chunk of them who will tips on if muscle growth outpaces joint growth Charlie had this problem a whole bunch. <laughs> uh, so after I give my spiel, I'd love if, it, if it's okay with you, Steve, if Charlie can chime yeah. in on that as well. Um, so generally the way this happens is you start getting really strong. Um, maybe you figure out nutrition and training strategy that works really well for you and exercises that work really well. And you start putting on the pounds and the weight on the bar starts to really get kind of crazy. And all of a sudden, you're like, you know, my knees are starting to hurt on this hack squat. And it's because, the, the, you know, sometimes you you do a weight a few weeks in a row or sorry, do the exercise and the weight you're starting to load on for the same reps is like kind of scaring the fuck out of you. Like at one point um, during one of my last my uh, one prep ago, 2020 prep, I uh, was doing skull Smith machine skull crushers. I did, I think. 195 pounds for 27 reps and i was just like if i did sets of 10 on these it'd be 225 or 235 and my elbows would pop right off my body i'd be like mr potato head they'd be collecting me at the fucking bottom of the gym so in in that case if you're basically your muscles are getting temporarily so strong that your joints are starting to get achy the easiest there's two really good solutions um one is to just go for higher reps for a while like Folks, remember, the Brad Schoenfeld literature reviews are correct. Sets of 20 to 30, as annoying as they may be, are absolutely effective. And they hurt and they suck. But what do you want? Muscle pain or joint pain? So go into sets of 15 or above, sets of 20 or above, sets of 25 to 30 if you have to. Crank that shit for weeks, if not longer. And then eventually start to lower the weight a little bit and drop back down into those rep ranges. And your joints will have months in order to get stronger and joints can adapt to almost anything it just takes them longer you know people squat women are squatting 500 plus pounds like you're gonna be fine eventually with your joints unless you just you know, sometimes we have shitty joint genetics but then they're probably really small and look really cool on a bodybuilding stage <laughs> but generally speaking you know it just just go to higher reps and the other one is it's probably a good time to renorm your technique make sure you're not heave hoeing the weight sometimes even externally it can look like you're doing good technique but internally you know you're using some momentum some oomph 
stop doing that, control the eccentrics more, do some more pauses, really clean the shit out of your technique. That plus higher reps will solve most of those problems. You don't have to do it forever, just long enough for where your joints feel great again, and then slowly ease back into the heavy weights with that technique you've preserved. And Charlie, I mean, do you remember your, uh, can you tell folks your leg press story from like a year ago at Iron Sport? Which one was that? You literally messaged me and you were like, I can't keep increasing weight on the leg press because my <laughs> knees are going to explode. That's right. Yeah, that's when I, so that was to a point where, um, like Mike was uh, saying, um, every time I came to the gym to leg press, it scared me a little bit because I was worried um, about the feeling I was having in my knees. Um, when I put that top weight on, I was never sure on the eccentric, if my knees would just like, just explode right then and there. Um, but like Mike was saying, um, the things I did for that is pretty much lower the weights, um, increase reps. Uh, they sucked much more. <laughs> my quads felt, uh, way worse after the workouts, uh, knees felt much better. Um, on top of that, slow down the eccentric a lot. Uh, incorporate pauses, uh, more Meyer reps, just to, you know, another way to kind of increase the, the rep range for you, the total reps you're doing, and you know, kind of a limit the load you're using. Um, and that's what I've been using doing for a lot of my kind of uh, movements nowadays, just because like Mike said, you get to a certain point where you can just move a lot of weight if you want to, but it's at the expense of joint health, right? And you, that needs a little more time to kind of uh, catch up. Uh, that's happening with some movements now, luckily for me, but that's only because I took so long to kind of like renorm technique and just work in higher rep ranges. Yeah. Hi guys, Steve here. Just wanted to take a moment of your time to remind you of our online coaching service. At Revive Stronger, we pride ourselves on providing personalized service that will take your physique and knowledge to the next level. If you're interested, check the description and sign up. Harley, you're back now into the into those weights and higher with the leg press, yes. right? And it seems to be going fine, even at the lower rep ranges for you. Yeah, I, remember I was you surprised. Last mezzo of leg press, and you were doing like 900 plus every single workout, and I was like, "How the fuck is he doing this?" I guess his knees must be better because like, there was a time when you were in the 800s and you couldn't do it. Yeah, there's literally to a point where like afterwards, I'd take steps to like bend down to tie my shoe and my knees would feel like I'm in the leg press. Like it would hurt that much. So we're out of there though. Thank God. I'd be interested in your guys' thoughts on this as well. Cause I think just as you were talking there, I think a lot of people it's become quite popular to like pre fatigue and use that as a strategy. Is that something you think um, people don't go towards? Like they just don't think to use the higher reps and they don't think to, I don't know, let's say eat their ego a little bit slower concentrics pausing and so they go towards this pre-fatigue as a way round having to do that or do you think they're both worthwhile considerations i i definitely think the pre-fatiguing is good but for us we mostly use pre-fatiguing um, to limit the systemic fatigue and the axial fatigue of an exercise not limit its local joint problems because you think about it this way if you're getting ultra strong quads and your knees are having trouble keeping up and you're pre-fatiguing with a leg extension, the leg extension is going to hurt your knees a lot because you're leg extending 200 pounds. You're like, my fucking knees hurt more than ever. This isn't fucking working. And by the time you get to hack squats, your knees hurt even more. And it doesn't matter how light the weight is. So pre-fatiguing, in my view, is a bit more centered at reducing the systemic fatigue and axial fatigue, hack squatting 300 pounds instead of 400 pounds. But if your knees are hurting because your muscles are so big and your joints are, are, are just not there yet, even the pre-fatiguing exercises, which a lot of times are more single joint, they're the ones that can hurt the most. Just imagine this. Imagine right. someone said, hey, you know, I can't start with closed grip bench. I need to start with skull crushers to pre-fatigue the tricep. Okay, sweet. But my triceps are so big, my skull crushers are hurting my elbows even more. And a lot of times, if you close grip bench first, your elbows warm up so much, and I wonder if you guys have had the same experience. Skull crushers after feel great on your elbows, but if you skull crush first, dude, I need like 10 times the warm-up. I'm like, oh my god, my elbows are going to fall off. So I think pre-fatiguing can be a strategy that works in this regard, but I think it more often works to reduce spinal axial fatigue and systemic fatigue. And I think that this is a very special – because you know, for Charlie, he was hurting on the leg presses because he would do leg press and then he'd do some squats or something like that. He was already pre-exhausting yeah. with leg presses. And the 
leg presses hurt too much. Like, that's a bad deal. Uh, usually on squats, Charlie could go as heavy as he wants and his joints never hurt. It's just a shitload of systemic fatigue from having to squat 700 pounds for reps, right? Like, Charlie, have, you've never really had knee pain on squats never uh, in any life. major capacity. No. Yeah. So it's, it's, I think, it's, Steve, it's kind of two different problems. I think it's possible yeah. to pre-fatigue in a way that helps, but I think the pre-fatiguing is also has to be, okay, you got to slow down your eccentrics. You got to do higher reps. You might do that anyway because it's an isolation, but that's really kind of exposing the fact that that's really what's doing the work. Maybe not even the pre-fatiguing that's helping you. It's the fact that you're doing higher reps, renorming your technique, and and making sure to just wait it out until your joints get better. Really well said. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Uh, so I'm going to ask this next question for you, Charlie. Uh, someone asked, are chest supported rows better than bent over rows due to stability, meaning more power? What are your thoughts surrounding bent over rows compared to machine rows? Or uh, chest I don't think rows? so. This is easy for me, at least. Uh, not better or worse. It really depends on what you're aiming to do, right? Uh, bent over row is going to give you much more load on your erectors, just like overall back musculature. While the chest supported rows, you don't have to support the weight. It's literally just chest supported. So there's less of your back working if you want to target more, I guess, your lats, your upper back, things like that without targeting your erector so much. Probably said chest supported row is the better option. If you want just more overall back growth, including your erectors, bent over row is probably a little better. Um, obviously, that comes up with a trade off with you know a little more axial fatigue, systemic fatigue, of course. But yeah, neither is better or worse, in my opinion, because of those reasons. Anything else to add there, Mike, or are you the same? I mean, I, Charlie got it completely on the money. I, I just want to add a, just a theoretical idea that um, the I, this notion, and, and no offense to the question asker, it's a very good question. It's a question that actually has a lot of validity, but there is a place at the margins where it has validity, where some exercises are just straight up better than others. Um, just better. Like if you give me a shitty incline press with a shitty angle that hurts my shoulders and it's partial range of motion, it's not like it's just another tool in the toolbox. Like your toolbox sucks, your hammer is broken in half. Like that, throw that thing out, right? But on the other hand, when you have really good exercises, there are situations which a bunch of them are just fucking really good. It, it's like saying, okay, what's better if you're really like a foodie kind of person? you know, a $700 meal at one of the world's best restaurants or like McDonald's burger. Well, of course, that's $700 meal. But hold on a sec. There's like five world's best restaurants and they all have $700 meals. Which ones are better? Is it French cuisine? Is it Vietnamese? Is it sushi? Well, I just think they're just different foods and they're all great. And it just kind of depends on what you're in the mood for or what, what's around. So when people are talking about, well, a bent row is better than chest supported rows for back. Like Charlie said, it's a little, if you want, for example, just to keep this cuisine analogy going, if you want some really like richness, some heavy foods, yeah, high-end French cuisine is the way to go. You're not going to get heavy foods from fucking Japanese. Are you fucking kidding me? Like the whole meal has two grams of fat or some shit like that. But on the other hand, if you're looking for some, you know, very different kinds of tastes and a lot of freshness in your food, then absolutely you're going to go to a high-end sushi restaurant and get that. Just the same way as Charlie said, in bent rows, there's some spinal erector stuff involved. It really is a whole back exercise. Chest supported rows, there are ways to do them that involve the spinal erectors, but it, it, mostly it's going to be the upper spinal erectors. The lower ones really do get hit in a special, special way in bent rows. Another thing is personal, SFR. Like for some people, bent rows for some time could be amazing. That's like you're, you're in the mood for French food a lot, right? But for some people later, they could switch to chest supported rows being amazing. Like, well, I've had French food the last 10 times I went out. Fuck that. I'm going to go and have my private plane pilot fly me to japan to have sushi from that 100 fucking year old guy or whatever jiro's <laughs> name charlie he's one of your buddies right uh in any case it's fucked up yeah so there's so many more jokes to make it everyone <laughs> up but uh you know it, it's um at the end of the day what should happen in the gym is you should have a candidacy list of your top xyz number of high stimulus to fatigue ratio exercises and that list will maybe be like three to five movements per muscle group and it's going to rotate itself as to what rank one is but rank one isn't always rank one because things get stale imagine saying like you know what's better hack squats or leg press and they're like uh leg press and someone's like okay but i'm really like bored of leg presses like, well no you should shut up and do the best exercise <laughs> like it doesn't work like that hack squats 
even if you don't love them, if leg presses get stale, they can start to be, the hack squats can be better. So maybe if you prefer leg presses, maybe like eight months out of the year, you do a lot of leg pressing. Four months out of the year, you do a lot of hack squatting. Someone who prefers hack squat could do the other way around, but it strains my imagination to think there's someone who only ever does one top. No, he does that. And something I like to That's add it. to that, there's real no quick, I, I think that people don't really, uh, I mean, it's not brought up enough, like but Mike said, a lot of times it comes down to, you know, what is the best SFR for that individual, right? Um, but on top of that, something that doesn't get brought up enough is it really depends on the machine also, because I've met hack squats that I love and hack squats that are completely unusable. So if someone says hack squats are the best for quads, what are you talking about? And also wrong, because that person might not feel it as well. They may have a shitty hack squat at the gym. So always keep that in mind. Yeah. Yeah, really well said. I know that's uh, a bugbear question for you, Charlie, is when people are like, why are you doing this over this? I know this was one Mike got a ton as well when he posts up his workouts. Like, And I've had it too. Like, why? And the answer, unfortunately, is very often just as simple as variation. It's one of your good SFR movements right now. It's kind of the best one for you. It's the tool that you're using right now. So I think that's really well explained. Uh, so we're going to this, probably the final question. Uh, and it's moderate intensity cardio after weights. Is it just a problem for those less advanced? Uh, sorry, is it a problem for those less advanced? Or is it just a problem for someone who is more advanced? Or is it always better to split up your kind of cardio after your workout? Um, it's always better but it's going to make less of an impact for people that are less advanced and also people with slightly different goals. If you want, if you're doing moderate intensity cardio, which is to say something like jogging, um, then ostensibly you're interested in being good at that and interested in having cardiovascular capacity that's very high. And then I'd also assume that you don't care about just doing everything it takes to max out your muscle gains, which is totally fine, by the way. That means you're just more of a normal person. You're going to die much later than the rest of us, and you're going to have a better life while you're still alive. You know, see us at the seminar. Jared and Charlie and I need to, like, lean on things after walking for a mile because our lower backs are too pumped. Like, ah, wow, we lead levels of performance and, and, and living life. So, you know, it's totally fine to understand that, yeah, like, right after, cardio is going to have a problem of diverting post-workout nutrients away uh, to the working muscles. Instead, it's the muscle that recovered. If you're using this uh, kind of cardio it's leg-based cardio like running and you're doing after a leg workout there's a direct molecular interference effect among other things there's a fatigue component to it so yeah there's definitely trade-offs and it also depends on how much moderate intensity cardio you're doing look if you run one mile after a leg workout and you're an intermediate lifter it's gonna people are gonna be barely be able to tell you're gonna have almost exactly the same gains if you run 10 miles after your workout you may have not worked out. You should don't even bother lifting because you're going to erase all of your gains <laughs> as an intermediate advanced lifter. So there's, there's issues of scale and there's issues of trade-offs. So, so what I would say is this, start easing into moderate intensity cardio after your workouts, try to avoid doing it after leg workouts, do it after the other workouts, get in a shake and, and carbs as soon as possible after, see how your results are coming along. And if you're used to a certain rate of growth and it's just not happening anymore and your results are really disappointing, be like, God damn it, reduce your cardio by half or put it somewhere else. Then your gains might restart again. You're like, well, okay, I sort of know where the margin is. And you may be able to increase, decrease cardio, push it away from your workout, bring it close, uh, increase, decrease the intensity and find where that happy medium for you is where you're still getting what you want as far as exercise resistance training. Because here's the thing, by rep and load progressions, you can tell how things are going so if you're like yeah i've started running after my leg workouts and i haven't pr'd in six weeks you'd be like okay are you cool with that like no i hate it I'm like well time to run less or not run at all uh but if you're running and so if someone tells you hey the interference effect is gonna it's not only gonna zap your muscle gains it's gonna kill your grandma as well you know like, oh, shit i'm never gonna do it but then you try it and you're running after some leg workouts and then you're just getting great gains who's gonna tell you you're an idiot and you of course you would get hypothetically better gains if you didn't do that, but if you're getting great games and you love them and you also love running, hey, fucking run all you want. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really well said in terms of like just the 
what's happening in practice like this might be theoretically how it's meant to be or what have you but what's actually happening in real time for you it's just like i don't know like charlie said with a hack squat if someone says oh yeah all hack squats are best but you've got one of those hack squats just trash or you just aren't built well for that then like try and move to something else um on a side note charlie did you do any do, do you ever do cardio did you do any cardio in your prep i don't know if we covered that question uh when i had you on previously i'm just interested Oh yeah, uh, no. So what we focus on mainly, for me at least, just total step counts. So some people might consider that cardio. Me walking around aimlessly. Um, so it really depends how you look at it. It's just uh... <laughs> the cops are like, "Where are you going?" You're like, "Nowhere." They're like, "You got a good answer." <laughs> yeah. No, that 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 clears that one up nicely. Yeah, I was just wondering because I don't think we ever covered it. So there was one final question, and I don't know. I mean, this could be a long answer. It could be a short answer. It's, it's quite a challenging. It was quite a challenging question. So it was basically, where is it? I had it for a moment. Uh, oh, I, I know what it is. It was essentially, what do you do if you feel like nothing's working? That's what the question was. Give up. So, think of suicide. Really, <laughs> really mull it over. I'm, I'm kidding, by the way. I hope that English dry humor will save me there. Um, so <laughs> Charlie's taking notes like suicide. Got it. Got it already? Uh, okay. <laughs> already. You know, so uh, there's kind of a few things to do, probably like two or three. Thing one is to really do like a hard reset on all of your procedures that you're executing in order to try to get results. And the first place I'd go to is take a four-week active rest four week active rest one month basically just don't go to the gym just live your normal life eat some protein eat some fun foods your body composition is going to take a real big hit but it's all going to come back super quick when you restart that's going to a lot of times people nothing's working means their systemic fatigue is ultra high and they don't even know the last active rest i took i didn't even feel normal until the second week like a one whole week of deloading i still felt like shit i still didn't want i just didn't want to lift weights i wanted to quit bodybuilding like i knew i didn't really want to but my brain was like stop just stop bodybuilding sucks you hate it remember <laughs> and i stopped like lifting basically for a week lift super light basically nothing and then only in the middle of the second week was i like yes i want to fucking go back and destroy it took that long if you're really really in a bad way take four weeks and just go fuck away from the sport as you get to the end of that four weeks you'll probably start thinking of ways to Ooh, i'm really excited to make my plan take a hard reset on your plan objectively reanalyze everything you're doing take a real good uh, approach create something you think is really going to work then run it and you're going to get your mu muscle gain back for four to eight weeks you're going to gain new muscle for another four to eight weeks and then to see how that progression keeps going sometimes that'll solve everything and it just keeps going and it works great another thing is hire a coach after that period or after you regain your muscle hire a coach because they can have ideas you've never come up with like don't just quit some shit that you love and is a huge part of your life that you do by yourself if you could have just like hired steve hall and after three months you're like oh shit i'm making incredible games that guy didn't quit the sport this is awesome and a lot of stuff you learn from a coach you keep forever so you can keep it with you if those two things don't work and you do really due diligence and it's just like you've capped off one thing you can do is just like reconsider you know switching to maintenance training for lifting so you can stay healthy and strong taking some other hobbies and enjoying the fuck out of your life like i probably only have another three or four years in the sport and after that i'm going to be doing tons of jiu-jitsu tons of cardio i'm only going to be training really my upper body i'm not going to train legs hardly at all and it's going to be sweet because it's going to be a different phase of my life and you know you don't have to push this fucking nonsense up and how important bodybuilding is i like it always jots me out to go on a, like, oh, a trip somewhere and just talk to people who are sitting next to me on the plane. Yes, I am that guy. I will talk to you if you sit next to me. And, um, you know, like they're like a computer programmer or a nurse and they're talking to me about stuff and they're like, oh, exercise. I should probably do some of that. And I'm like, wow, these people are living completely fulfilled, normal, happy lives. They don't even know what bodybuilding is. And they're probably like better <laughs> contributors to society than I am. So, uh, you know, like at some point you go like, oh, I have to be jacked. Like, no, you don't. We're all weird idiots. So at some point you can just say, I gave it a full go. I gave it a break. So it's three point process break full go, which may or may not include a coach should probably include a coach. And then if that doesn't work, just maintenance training and get the fuck out of this dumbass sport. And then here's the thing. If someone's like, Hey, why don't you bodybuild anymore? I'd be like, oh, I think it, uh, it went as far as it's going to go for me. And um, I'm satisfied with where I left off. And I couldn't push it any further, and that was that. And they'll be like, well, why don't you start shooting Tran into your eyeballs? And then you can be like, well, I like to see still. And so that'll be that conversation. I'm glad you brought the 
drug joke into it because that was going to come in the comment section at some point like whatever i can't think what even it is like five milligrams more. that's five milligrams is probably way too a little amount like whatever it is five grams there you go <laughs> oh dear so guys this has been fantastic i think it's uh given people a real taste into what they can look to experience like i said uh, when i was marketing it the first thing that came to my head was the fact it's going to be a good time it's going to be a laugh and um, if you love to laugh you do not want to miss this you're going to be surrounded by like-minded individuals and you're going to definitely learn something from this event too so i definitely want people if they are interested if you've got some fear of missing out, good. Don't miss out and come to it on the 4th of June. Pick up your ticket now. And I want to say a massive thank you to you guys for taking the time for this. But also, I'm just dead excited for the event itself uh, for that time. So, yeah, thanks, guys. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thanks so much, Steve. Thanks, Charlie. I'll talk to you guys later. So I'm Steve Hall, founder of Revive Stronger and a coach of Revive Stronger. My name is Pascal Floor. I'm the co-owner of Revive Stronger and also a coach, of course. Revive Stronger has probably been going solidly for three years, probably roughly about three years. Revive Stronger, to me, it is becoming kind of my child, my foster child. It's the gathering and getting together of like-minded people. We've been expanding the coaching team, which is helping us help more people. Uh, but each coach can only help a certain number of people. Right now, it's all over the place. We have YouTube, we have Facebook, we have Instagram, but there isn't that community aspect behind that. And so the next step for us is developing a membership site. So basically, we want to create a family and a community that is then benefiting from another. A really cool community for people within our little niche is going to be a website. They will get early access to our podcast. You can access us, ask us questions, the community aspect. We have a forum there. You can ask questions, but also you can, you can lock your journey. There's also going to be courses on there, courses, presentations on different topics. Discount of past seminar footage. We will log our journey as well. We'll start vlogging. We're going to have documentaries, our entire athletic journey. Furthermore, they get access to an exercise video library. The exercises that we love for hypertrophy and maximizing hypertrophy, we're going to go through those in depth, telling you how to execute them. We kept them concise and also mobile friendly so that you can watch them in between your sets. I'm super excited to grow this community. The amount of value that we're going to be delivering is huge. And I'd love you to be part of it. You will get so much out of that. I'll see you inside.